Uh, you want to run the story? You got five hours until eight o'clock. You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Welcome to the Collegian Weekend Review. Here's your hosts, Maddie Welsh and Lauren Scott. Welcome back to the Collegian Weekend Review, where we give you an inside look into Michigan's oldest college newspaper. My co-host Lauren Scott is out of the studio today, so it's just me, your host, Maddie Welsh. And today we'll be talking to Allie Hall about the creative process behind the poster for the latest CCA. Jillian Parks about what modesty means both inside and out, Thomas McKenna about the Jewish Society's most recent event on campus, as well as his Q&A with this fall's Pulliam Fellow, Alexandra DeSanctis. And finally, I'll talk to Jane Kitchen about the newest addition to the 1776 curriculum. This is Maddie, and I'm here with Allie Hall, the assistant culture editor for The Collegian. This week, she wrote a story about the genius behind the CCA posters. Allie, tell me about this story. I was so excited to write the story because when the most recent CCA poster for the Russia CCA came out maybe a week or two ago, I was like, wow, that's a beautiful poster. And I'm pretty sure I said that aloud to whoever was around me. And then at the collegiate assignment meeting, Megan Schultz, who's the editor of the features department, she kind of wanted somebody to look into what went into the design process for these CCA posters because it's relatively like within the past five years, pretty recent. So in 2017, Um, external affairs hired Shanna Cody and she basically reworked a lot if not all of the design elements because the CCA invites used to look like an imprimus which is like totally fine except for a lot of what the CCAs are are very creative and interesting topics not that nothing in in imprimus isn't but in order to get people to attend you know I think it needed some life to it and it's like night and day difference between when this this change kind of happened. And so I focused specifically on the Russia poster and I got to see the Pinterest boards that went behind it, what the mood board on Adobe Illustrator looks like. It looked migraine inducing or so many little text boxes. And I just got to see a little bit of the creative process behind what goes into something like that. So it was easily my favorite article I've done so far for this semester. And it was really interesting to just see the work that goes, you know, into these things. And what does that sort of process look like? So from what I gathered from Mrs. Cody, over the summer, the CCA kind of art team, it's her and then she has some student workers and some designers. They get a list of what the CCA topics are going to be for that year. And then they basically just get started on them. She told me that she wanted, the the first idea that kind of came to mind was those Russian nesting dolls, which I'm not going to pronounce the Russian name of, but I know it starts with an M and that's it. And you can kind of see that in some of the, the floral elements to the poster itself and also like some of the curvatures of the lines and things. It's very resemblant of those traditional kind of Russian nesting dolls and um, doll type things. I don't know. And then from that, she and the student designer, Alexandra Millay, who's in five, she um, sketched up a bunch of stuff. And so it was really cool because Alexandra sent me like her sketches that she had first done. And so it was interesting to see how they went from these broad kind of Pinterest boards, colors, um, ideas that they really wanted to include and how that ended up into the final product. And both of them said that their favorite element of the poster is this two-headed eagle that's behind the CCA1 crest. 
and I think it's a it's some sort of symbol in I think a lot of different cultures but specifically like Russian history it's a symbol of like I think victory and whatever so it, it's very it's enamoring I really love the poster I think the colors are are beautiful and if I had more time I would probably take the CCA upon seeing that poster alone so I think they did their job You've touched on this a little bit. How do you think the elevated design of this poster and other CCA posters gets people interested in it? I think that humans are naturally very visual creatures and we live in such a saturated time when it comes to things like media. And so in order to get people interested in, I think in this context, specifically something educational, you know, like these are lectures. This isn't just you're going to go sit and look at pretty pictures and stuff. But especially when you're trying to sponsor something about culture and about a country like something as big as that I think it's really important to draw people in with something that is visually pleasing like it's really as simple as that and one of the other designs that Mrs. Cody worked on and has you know tons of experience with is the Inklings CCA that happened last year and it looks like a storybook when you look at it it's kind of this green emerald color with some texture on it And then she was telling me about how they made the gold lettering kind of look like it was embossed and look like gold foil, even though it wasn't. It was just kind of a gold shade. And I think that those details that you probably don't know of or think of when you're looking at that poster just, you know, for the first time or alone are really what elevate and pull you in. So you might not be consciously aware that the Russia poster was made to like look like a nesting doll, but it probably spark some sort of element in your subconscious and I think that that's what draws people in I think it's really important to create promotional products and marketing things that kind of excite people about what those things are going to be well thanks for coming on the show of course thanks for having me the collegian weekend review continues I'm Maddie, and I'm here with Jillian Parks, the social media manager for the Collegian and also a Collegian reporter. Mm-hmm. This week, she wrote a piece for the opinions page responding to an opinion that was in last week's paper about modesty. Jillian, tell me about, give me, give me the gist of the original story's argument, mm-hmm. and then tell me about your argument. Um, so the original piece talked mostly about saying, well, the headline was Modesty is Important, and it went on to talk about making sure that when you go out in the morning and you are wearing an outfit that, like, you're less concerned about how cute it looks and you're more concerned about whether or not it's modest, which is not a terrible sentiment in itself. But there were some couple, a couple lines in there, like, um, if you wouldn't wear it to the gates of heaven, don't wear it to class. And um, ideas about, and it was mostly targeted towards ladies, talking about, like, the length of your skirt and um, crop tops being... Um, the bane of, of modesty's prevalence in our culture. Um, my response was not meant to be like a bash of like, how could you say modesty is important? It was more of a, um, yes, I agree that modesty is important, but the way that you've defined it is not um, biblically accurate uh, because modesty is so much more than just the way that we dress. And that was mostly my opinion piece's main thesis was like, yes, modesty is important, but if we're going to have a conversation about modesty, we ought to make sure it is all encompassing and inclusive of our speech, our conduct, um, our egos, and all of the things that go under the umbrella of like being a modest person. Tell me more about that. What do you have to say about that in the piece? Yeah, um, I basically, I, I quoted a lot of different, well, I quoted one verse, but generally like themes in the Bible that talk about um, heart condition and, and the way that like the Lord 
examines um, our hearts and not our outward appearances. Um, not to say that we can dress however we want and it doesn't matter, but in the way that like you can wear a long skirt and then judge other people for not doing the same thing. And by default, you're not being modest because there's just like so much more. Um, the, the idea was that modest needs to mean more things in order for the conversation to not get trite and annoying. Um, because I think people have already heard We've already heard, we get it. We went to high school or whatever. We had dress codes. We understand that like modesty is an important thing and, and what that looks like. But um, if we're going to further the conversation into adulthood and think about how it actually affects us um, as members of of the world and um, different communities that we're in a part of, we have to define the term fully. So the original article that you're responding to sort of became controversial. Mm-hmm. What were your thoughts on that? Um, I think, well, I read the article and immediately texted Elise, the opinions editor, and was like, hey, can I write a response to this? Because Elise is really great about wanting responses and like kind of some communication happening on the opinions page. And she was like, yeah, absolutely. And then um, Nick, I think it's like Trelia, um, he wrote his own response piece that was purely satirical. Um, One of the lines from his piece was less is more. So like, take that as you will. Um... But a lot of the girls, at least a lot of the girls in my sorority, um, read the original piece and were like, this is really offensive to me. And they really disliked it. And so I wanted to make sure that my response was not bashing her um, because her opinion is valid, even if I don't agree with it fully. Um, But I also wanted to make sure that, like, I was being respectful to the people that felt very attacked by the original piece, if that makes sense. So I was kind of mediating two grounds. People that were upset by the original piece, what were sort of their thoughts? Um, I think it's more of like a tiredness is the response of like, we get it. You don't like when I wear a short skirt. You think I'm less holy if I wear a crop top. Um, We get it. I've heard it. It doesn't mean it's going to change the way they feel about it. And so to be reminded of it in the newspaper is kind of like a, man, I don't want to hear that again. Um, Also, just because I think a lot of the issue also comes from like the fact that it was really it's hard for a college student to talk on a difficult topic like modesty because the, que- the question becomes like, okay, who are you to lecture me on modesty? Like, I guarantee you, you've worn leggings as pants before. And I guarantee you, you've worn pants, period, before. And the Baptist would had- have a fit about that. So it's kind of like, who are you to tell me what I can and can't wear um, is, I think, where most of the backlash really came from. It's sort of a hot topic at Hillsdale in general, See? I feel. So what are your thoughts on that? No, I definitely agree, especially coming to like a conservative Christian school. It could be a lot worse. Like we could have a dress code. We could like there could just be so many other things. And we don't. There's plenty of people on campus who wear business casual every single day. Um, And you know what? Good on them. And then there's people that like don't care as much. And that is also okay. And um, I don't think it needs to be as big of a hot topic because I think there are just bigger things that we need to talk about and like are worth our time. Um. But, I mean, it's good to have discussions about things like this, and a newspaper is a good forum for making that happen. I think a lot of people, to operate in the extremes on this issue, like I would boldly say most issues, um, is just kind of dangerous and does a disservice to it because to be like, oh, you can wear whatever you want, it doesn't matter. Well, that's super not true. Or like um, the other side where it's like if you don't wear, if you aren't covering every inch of your body, like you can't go to heaven, like that sort of thing. Um, You just kind of have to operate in the middle and then be a little bit, sensitive that other people come from different places and I think that was another thing I mentioned in my article was like if what you're looking at is women trying to get attention for showing skin like the issue 
at hand is not women are trying to show skin. It's like a deeper thing. It's like a, it's like it's an attention thing or like whatever it is, the issue or the, the root of it is. Um, that's what we ought to be addressing and we ought to be combating that by like encouraging each other and being kind um, rather than telling each other to cover up more than we already do, if that makes sense. Thanks for sharing. Of course, anytime. Radio Free Hillsdale's The Collegian Week in Review continues. This is Maddie, and I'm here with Thomas McKenna, a Collegian freelancer. This week he wrote a couple of stories, one about the Jewish Society's celebration of Rosh Hashanah. Thomas, tell me a little bit more about this story. Yeah, so on Sunday night in a Kendall Hall classroom, the Jewish Society on campus held a service for Rosh Hashanah, uh, which is the second holiest day in the Jewish calendar. The first holiest day is Yom Kippur, which is 10 days after, this year, uh, October 4th and 5th. And the service was about nine or ten people. Uh, it was led by Dr. Fincher here at Hillsdale, who teaches uh, biblical Hebrew as well as, as, well as Latin and Greek. Uh, basically, the service involved about an hour or so of prayer and reading certain readings um, from Scripture. And then afterwards, they had a ritual meal. Uh, it had apples to sweeten the new year and uh, spinach in order to foil the plans of your enemies, right? So it was a, it was a mix of prayer as well as, as well as gathering. Uh, and I should mention that Rosh Hashanah is the civil new year for the Jewish calendar. I got to ask the president of the Jewish Student Society here on campus a few questions, as well as Dr. Fincher. What did you learn from attending this event and talking to the people there? I learned from Dr. Fincher what he thought the importance of having Jewish services on campus was. You know, the Jewish Student Society hosts weekly Shabbat services as well as services for the different Jewish holidays throughout the year. And what he said is he thought that if there was a community of Jewish students and faculty and staff and Hillsdale residents, they should be given some representation on the campus. And, you know, to learn from a professor who uh, follows Judaism as well as some of the students there, as to why it's important that those services are held here on campus. You also wrote a story about this fall's polium fellow, Alexandra de Sanctis. Tell me a little bit about that. So the story was a question and answer uh, with this fall's polium fellow. She's a National Review staff writer, has been for the past four years. Before that, the two years before that, she was the Buckley Fellow at uh, National Review. So she's been writing at that publication for about six years now, just over six years. Uh, and she's also just taken up a visiting fellowship at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. So to hear from her about her experience uh, in journalism, especially talking about her main focus of abortion, uh, we did that in a format of asking her questions and hearing about how she got started at a student newspaper. It was interesting to hear from somebody who's been in this field that I'm interested in, how they got to where they are and what they think was most important in helping them acquire the skills and expertise to write about the topics that they do so often. What are some of the most interesting answers that she gave you? One of the most interesting things that she mentioned is that she started at the student newspaper at Notre Dame. And as somebody who's interested in a career in journalism somewhere later on in life, I definitely 
was glad to see that she's starting out journalism in a similar way to the way I'm doing it here at Hillsdale. Uh, one of the other things that she mentioned that I found interesting was her perspective on abortion after the Dobbs decision came down that overturned Roe versus Wade. Because one of the things that she said is that the fight over abortion, in her view, needs to not only be in the political sphere, but also in the cultural sphere. And that's something that she also talked about during her talk that she gave in Plaster Auditorium on Tuesday night. You also took the class with her. What did you think of that? Tell me about it. What did you learn in that? Well, it was a fantastic class. Uh, similar to the way that the Q&A really helped me understand what it might take to be in a position like the one that Mr. Sanctus was in. Uh, that class allowed us to ask her questions that really were very specific and weren't really the type of questions that you could ask in a Q&A setting after a speech, for example. Uh, we got to hear from her about how she got her start. We got to hear from her about how she writes her different pieces that she writes for National Review. We got to a little bit, hear a little bit about how she writes her book. And we also got to uh, hear her perspective on what we can do as young writers and aspiring journalists to try to hone our skills and develop expertise. What was your biggest takeaway from the class? This might sound a little harsh to any young writer out there, but especially for anyone who wants to write opinion pieces, one of the most important things that she said in that class is that for the first few years, very few people are going to care about what your opinion is. You really need to start with hard facts reporting, where you go out and you find the story, and the thing that you bring is not the expertise that you really don't have on a topic yet, because you don't have the credibility to talk about it, and you've only been reporting on something for so long. The thing that you can bring to the table as a young writer and journalist is the facts that you can go out and find through interviews and through research. And from there, you can shift to opinion writing uh, while keeping a lot of facts in your opinion pieces. And as you develop expertise, then you can start to talk about an issue that you really know something about. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Thomas. Well, I appreciate it. You're listening to the Collegian Week in Review. This is Maddie, and I'm here with Jane Kitchen, a Collegian reporter. And this week she had a story in the paper about Hillsdale's 1776 curriculum and some new additions that have been made. Jane, tell me a little bit more about this story. Yeah, so uh, the 1776 curriculum, which is... It's Hillsdale's K-12 through education curriculum, and basically they've always planned for it to have seven units, and so far they've put out two, and then recently they added a third, which is about colonial America. So tell me a little bit more about this new unit. Anything you learned researching this article that was interesting? Yeah, so the unit covers Native American civilizations, uh, the settlement of the 13 colonies, um, and then sort of initial efforts at self-government in the colonies. So, And the, it also covers the history of slavery in the West. Who did you talk to to uh, learn about this? Yeah, so I talked to, I talked to uh, John Adams, who's the interim director of curriculum at the K-12 office. Um, I also talked to Kathleen O'Toole who's the assistant provost for K-12 education. Megan Satcher, who's a classical pedagogy trainer at Hillsdale. How do you think this new unit improves the 1776 curriculum? Yeah, so it's 
it's a continuation of what they've already done. So it's good in that way that it's just sort of moving forward in history. Um, but the 1776 curriculum in general is great because it focuses a lot on primary sources, um, trying to let students look at those and use them to think on their own instead of being really heavy on interpretive secondary sources. And it's also, you know, their suggestions that they're putting out there for teachers. So it's not super, um, there's, there's flexibility for teachers. It's not super constraining. Who uses the 1776 curriculum and how can you get your hands on it? Yeah, so it is available on the K-12 education website for free for anyone to download. So um, teachers at the classical affiliate schools that Hillsdale is partnered with use them, but so can teachers at public schools, homeschool teachers, um, anyone. It's, it's very accessible, which is great. Well, thanks for sharing, Jane. Yeah, of course. You've been listening to the Collegian Week in Review with your host, Maddie Welsh, on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. You can find the Collegian on Twitter or Instagram at hdalecollegian or online at hillsdalecollegian.com. Once again, you've been listening to the Collegian Week in Review on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.